Thanks to Slack for supporting Industry Focus. Slack is a messaging app which brings together all of your team's communications in one place, making work simpler and more productive. Go to slack.com to learn more. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. I'm your host, Christine Hargis, and we'll be covering healthcare today on this July 19th show. I'm joined via Skype by Todd Campbell, Fool.com healthcare specialist. Before we get to the meat of our show, Todd, I have to ask you a healthcare news question. Did you read about the woman who had 27 contact lenses removed from her eye? What? Yeah. So this is a little news uh, item that crossed my desk, courtesy of Chris Hill, who is the host of Market Foolery and Motley Fool Money. He sends me this link, and he's like, I know you want to cover this on your show. I'm like, that's pretty disgusting. But after enough convincing, I, I did read through the article. And essentially, this older woman had this weird feeling in her eye that she kind of just ignored because she figured that's all part of getting older. And then she goes to have cataract surgery. And the people who are going to operate on her are like, oh my gosh, you have 27 contacts in your one eye. That could not have felt good. <laughs> Isn't that insane? No, no. Oh, my word. You just wake up and put it in and wake up and put it in and wake up. And, oh, boy. Yeah. As as a contact wearer myself, I've put two in my eye before. You know, forgotten that I never took the last ones out. But you realize pretty quickly what you've done. So as our, our, our public service announcement for today is make sure that you uh, only have one contact lens at a time, people. Yes. The Motley Fool, helping the world invest better and also not get a pileup of contacts in your eyeballs better. Anyway. <laughs> We'd love to help in any way we can. Yeah. I hope no one's sque- uh, squeamish, but Chris was like, you should totally cover this. And so I figured he'd be disappointed if I didn't. So, moving on to more investable matters, we are borrowing a concept today that we aired last summer about catching lightning in a bottle again. So, the premise of this is that there are companies out there whose CEOs have already been successful in other ventures. One of the the, uh, companies that we covered on that episode, which I believe came out last June or around there, uh, it was a company called Puma Biotechnology. Their CEO is a man named Alan Auerbach, and he had some previous history with a company called Cougar Biotechnology. <laughs> Puma, Cougar, sense a trend. And Johnson Johnson ended up buying Cougar for a billion dollars to get its hands on a prostate cancer drug. And then Puma was trying to make their own cancer drug for breast cancer. Flash forward to recently, and I believe this news just came out yesterday, that the FDA approved the drug. Yeah, Alan Auerbach, he does it again. Not only does he get one cancer drug across the finish line back in, in the late 2000s, but he struck it, struck, struck it rich again uh, by getting through Neuralinks. Notice the links at the end of that name of this new drug. Oh my gosh, um, I did not notice that. <laughs> yes, he definitely loves the big cats. <laughs> Thank you for that one. <laughs> Yeah, Arbach, this drug is for breast cancer. Um, when he was with Cougar, he developed a prostate cancer drug. That cancer, that prostate cancer drug now does $2 billion a year in sales for Johnson & Johnson. Wait, can I put you on pause for one second? It's Zytiga, like tiger. Oh my God, is it? <laughs> That's amazing. I did not realize that until recording the show. Zytiga. Wow. So, yeah, so I take a $2 billion annual uh, prostate cancer drug, and uh, Puma is making its way with uh, the drug that was Neurotinib, and I, th- I guess the, the commercial name is Neuralinks. And yeah, yeah. So, hey, again, loving those big cats. Yeah. It's working for them. 
It's working for him, right, Christine? Uh, yeah, like, seriously. So, why why disrupt a good thing? So there have been some. Just, I can't wait to see what the next company's name will be. Uh, well, who knows? Maybe we don't know what's going to happen with Puma. Uh, but 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 it was really interesting to us. It, it is it gave us an opportunity to say, you know, there's a reason that we like been there, done that, proven leaders in biotech because getting drugs through the FDA isn't easy. I mean, we've talked about this time and time again. The failure rate is high. There's all sorts of clinical. Uh, trial hurdles and regulatory hurdles. So, you know, getting people who are experienced in the spearhead development, um, that can help sidestep a lot of these risks and maybe potentially increase the likelihood of yet another win for shareholders. Um, and this is great, right? Because now, Christine, we get to talk about three other companies that who knows, maybe they'll be able to catch lightning in a bottle again, too. Exactly. And all three of these are pretty early stage companies. We've heard from quite a few listeners that you guys have an appetite for these small cap growth stocks. So get ready, buckle your seatbelts. Fortunately, there's a little bit of an advantage built into these because of everything we've been talking about with proven management. When you're looking at early stage biotechs, they're so, so risky. But this is hopefully one way that you can screen them to try to improve your odds of succeeding just a little bit. Yeah, and, and any little bit of an edge is valuable when it comes to clinical stage biotech because, again, the failure rates are so high and it can be such a hit and miss market. I mean, you can have stocks like Puma that go up to 275 one year, fall to 25 the next year, and then you know are up 200% in 2017. And it's all because of the clinical trial data that's coming through the tri- uh, through. So it's very important, I think. To kind of you know have a, a, a watch list that's built up of some of these companies that have are led by been there done that leaders, and you know keep an eye on them because they they could be great sources of new investment investment ideas. Absolutely. So before we reveal our three names, I want to say thank you to Slack for supporting our podcast. Slack is a messaging app which brings together all of your team's communications in one place, making your working lives simpler and more productive. Here at The Motley Fool, we really love Slack. Personally, my favorite thing in Slack is the adorable bouncing octopus emoji. But Slack also allows you to organize your team and reduce emails. It has real-time messaging, voice and video calls, group file sharing, and searchable archives, all in one easy-to-use app that works on desktop and mobile. Slack saves time and improves productivity by keeping everything on one platform. You can tailor Slack to your work with over 900 apps, and their drag-and-drop file sharing works with the apps that you already use, like Dropbox and Google Drive and Trello. My entire team at Full HQ uses Slack every single day, and I don't think any of us can imagine working without it. Slack, where work happens. Find out why at slack.com. Again, that is slack.com. All right. So, first up, after much anticipation, is a company called Arenia Pharmaceuticals. The ticker is AUPH. Yeah, and this one is not um, named after a big cat, so <laughs> it was not founded by our back. <laughs> Unfortunately, it was actually, not. <laughs> actually, uh, founded by a guy named Richard Glickman, who was formerly the CEO and the founder of Aspriva Pharmaceuticals, a small cap company that worked on a drug called Cellcept, which has gone on to become very commonly used in uh, treating patients with lupus who've developed um, kidney disease. 
Yeah, and this is an interesting drug because it's actually meant to be an organ anti-rejection drug. It's approved for kidney, heart, and liver transplants, but it's used off-label today in these uh, LLN, lupus nephritis patients, um, as you mentioned. And it's, it's come to become the standard of care for these patients, but there's actually not a drug out there yet that is specifically indicated for that indication. Right, and that's where Glickman and his team are at it again uh, to come up with the first FDA-approved treatment for LN. Now, you know, back in 2009, they sold Espriva for $915 million, so shareholders have got a nice reward out of uh, betting on him the first time around. Who knows if that uh, if it'll plan it pay out similarly um, this time around with Arenia. But he's got a lot of this, the former slate of people working with him that helped develop Celsep for use in LN. And the drug that they're developing now at Arenia, Voclosporin, so far, when used with Celsep in mid-stage trials, has proven to be very effective. I mean, we'll have to see how phase three trials play out, but in phase two, very effective, Christine. Yeah, absolutely. And phase three should wrap up in 2020. But as you mentioned, it's pretty promising so far. When you look at this market, um, about less than 10% of LN patients usually go into complete remission following the treatment. But using this drug that they're developing alongside Celsept has achieved a 49% complete remission rate. And that's compared to a 25% complete remission rate in the Celsept only control arm of the trial. That's really important too, Christine, because you know, if it's uncontrolled, if you don't go into remission, it significantly increases the likelihood of advancing eventually to end-stage renal uh, disease where you require dialysis. Right. 30% and, of patients with severe LN end up in end-stage renal failure within 15 years of diagnosis. Right. And that's not something, obviously, that that anybody wants. The, the payers don't want that. The patient certainly doesn't want that. So if you can come up with a better mousetrap than Celsept, and I think that they may who knows? They may very well have done that, combining these two drugs together uh, to, to improve complete remission rates. The other thing that was interesting too, Christine, is that they achieved those complete uh, remission rates more quickly, which is also important because you know you want to uh, reduce the amount of time that the damage is being done to the kidneys because that'll help keep them healthier as well. If this drug puts up similar kind of data in phase three, it could be you know definitely a nine-figure drug and you know potentially higher than that right they're looking at pricing it anywhere between fifty thousand to a hundred thousand dollars per year from what we've heard so far and to give you a little bit more of an idea of the scale of this market there are five hundred thousand lupus patients in the united states and sixty percent of those will develop lm and 40% of those LN patients, the disease is considered poorly controlled. So this is actually a very fairly large market, and it's going to be an expensive drug should it be approved. So pretty big opportunity here. We could even potentially see peak sales of a billion dollars just within the U.S. Right. If you dig into their SEC filings, they give you all this information. They tell you about the market size, the competition that's out there, how they think they can disrupt it, and what the market opportunity could be. Like you said, this is not going to be a cheap drug. Um, you know, do- not going to be dollars per pill, if you will. Um, this is going to be a relatively costly drug, but that's because in the end, it could save payers a lot of money by helping patients avoid having to go on to dialysis. They think that if they can get that price in the U.S., the U.S. market could be worth a billion dollars. U market could be worth 300 million. Japan could be worth another 
uh, 80 million. So you've got a drug that conceivably, conceivably, right, uh, if approved, could be worth 1.4 billion someday. You never know. Indeed. Let's move on to talk about a company that's working in a space that is larger by multiples uh, than this LN space. And this is a company that's working in Alzheimer's disease research. The company name is Accident Sciences, and their ticker is AXON. You know, recommending anything or talking about any kind of clinical trials that have to do with Alzheimer's disease, I mean, it's not even a coin flip. <laughs> you know, if you look at historically the success rate of clinical trials in Alzheimer's disease, it's been horrible. 99% of drugs that have gone into the clinic for Alzheimer's disease have come up short. And that's very sad, obviously, because this affects over 5 million people here in the United States alone. And that's climbing every year. I think every 66 seconds, another person is getting diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. And so there's a massive unmet need for new drugs, but it's also a very, very difficult drug uh, uh, indication to develop new drugs for. However, all of that being said, Axovan's interesting because their chief development officer is one of the only people who have had success in developing an Alzheimer's disease drug. Right. So, this is a guy named Lawrence Friedhoff, who, while he was at a company called iSci, was responsible for the development of Aricept. Yeah. And Aricept is most, one of the most commonly used Alzheimer's disease drugs. It's actually, in terms of commercial sales, the biggest uh, drug that's ever been developed for Alzheimer's disease. And Friedhoff now is at Accident Sciences working on a new drug, Intepridine, that can be used alongside Aricept to hopefully uh, delay disease progression in Alzheimer's disease patients. Phase three results are coming up later this year, actually, potentially this quarter. Yeah, I believe uh, results that, are due in September. Yeah, that's that's exciting. I mean, obviously, there's a huge catalyst here. I mean, the shares could go to the moon or they could crash right through the floor, depending on how this trial pans out. Because this is the one drug, you know, that that this this that could move the stock up or down. Um, but it's a very intriguing to me. It's very intriguing to me that you've got the same guy behind Aricept working now at Axovent on this new drug. And both of these drugs have a slightly different mechanism of action. So, you know, one boosts the presence of a neurotransmitter that's important to memory. The other reduces the ability for the body to break down that same neurotransmitter. So conceivably, using them in combination with one another would make sense um, uh, to improve Aricept's, um, the efficacy that you've seen so far with just using Aricept as a, as a monotherapy. In phase two trials, again, pretty solid results in improving outcomes for patients. However, again, this is Alzheimer's disease, and we've seen plenty of phase two trials come up short in phase three. So this is probably a, a pretty risky bet one way or the other. Well, and, and also another point to remember here is that this drug that they're developing was purchased from GlaxoSmithKline after GSK abandoned the program. So this was back in uh, around 2011. GlaxoSmithKline decided that this drug had missed its primary endpoints of significant improvement of cognition, and they decided to scrap it. And so, Axivent came along, and this is pre-IPO, but the company bought this drug for $5 million. 
which sounds like a lot to you and me thinking about our own wallets, but that's actually really not a lot at all. Um, it turned into $10 million last year when the FDA okayed a phase three trial, so it was two payments of $5 million. And then Accident IPOs in June 2015. It was at the time the largest biotech IPO, and after day one, it had a three billion dollar valuation. So for ten million dollars, they bought this drug that then landed them a three billion dollar valuation. So to me, this is like that's an incredible difference. And when you look at the guy behind all of this, he used to be a a former hedge fund manager. His name is Vivek Ram, uh, Ramaswamy. And he basically had no drug development experience. And he was behind not just this big biotech IPO, but the one that was also the biggest IPO, it, biotech IPO in 2016. So this guy is a businessman, right? So you get this drug, and now it's being developed further uh, as opposed to being in GSK's dustbin. And it's being developed alongside Aricept. So bringing on Lawrence Friedhoff, who was responsible for Aricept's development, is awesome. That's a really good sign. I'll also add that back in April, a guy named David Hung took over as CEO. This guy was the former president and CEO of Medivation, which, if you've been following along that story, that was acquired for $14 billion last year from Pfizer, mostly because of their prostate drug, uh, prostate cancer drug, Extandi. So now you have people that really do have experience in this type of market leading this company. Yeah, and the fact that Hung, what Hung did at Medivation with Extandi and prostate cancer, uh, I have a hard time believing that he didn't do a whole heck of a lot of due diligence and sitting down and considering whether or not to take the top seat here at Axovan. Now, who knows what that means, right? But you again, you've got a proven team. Could they catch lightning in a bottle again? Maybe. We should at least find out soon in this case, because like you said, that data is expected to come up in September. If it's good and this drug yanks the market, you know, I think Axavant's market cap right now is two point five billion. That's yep. probably not high enough given the commercial opportunity that could be ahead of it uh, with this drug if it's successful. But as you mentioned, this is a high risk play. And so that two point five seven billion dollar market cap could easily disappear if the drug flops. Yeah, yeah. Buyer beware. Very, very small percentage of portfolio. Any money that you're willing to lose, you got to be willing to lose to buy, uh, to invest in this company. Yeah, and, and personally, I'm I'm a little bit hesitant with this one just because there's so much over-enthusiastic about the Alzheimer's developers as a whole. Um, I, I tend to think that the, the reward is not quite worth the risk with a lot of these, and Accident included. Anyway, let's move on to our last company of the day. This is Aspirion Therapeutics. Their ticker is ESPR. Uh, they have a $1 billion market cap, but that is already up 276% year-to-date. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean these these stocks are have moved a lot and that's because they're they're getting towards the finish line. I mean they they all of these companies are moving their drugs into phase 3. So, you know, they, they, we're not talking about phase 1 drugs. Now, this is a very interesting stock to me um, because it's run by a guy named Roger Newton. And Roger Newton back in in the olden days he worked at Park Davis as one of the scientists who developed a drug that many people be aware of, and many of our listeners may even be taking. It's called Lipitor. 
Yeah, Lipitor is the most commonly prescribed statin. And it's off patent by now, but generic Lipitor is still very, very commonly used. And statins themselves are the most prescribed medicine on the planet. Tens uh, of millions of patients take statins every year. I think over 40 million people uh, in the U.S. are prescribed statins. Lipitor was a behemoth. Uh, before losing patent expiration, that drug was hauling in about $13 billion a year in sales. Uh, just goes to show you how big the market opportunity is in lowering bad cholesterol uh, as a way to reduce the likelihood, hopefully, of major cardiac events, you know, stroke, heart attack, and death. Right, and statins aren't perfect. We've talked a little bit on the show before about PCSK9 inhibitors, which are a different approach to lowering cholesterol levels. And so now, uh, Aspirion is looking at taking a different approach entirely. They're developing something called uh, bempedoic acid to use alongside statins in order to reduce these levels of bad cholesterol. And they had very positive phase two data. It showed a 20% reduction in bad cholesterol levels when used alongside statins. And we should be getting phase three data out in the second quarter of 2018, which could potentially mean approval as early as the first half of 2019. What's really interesting to me, too, about this story, Christine, is that not only that Newt did Newton successfully um, develop Lipitor, but he actually started a company also named Asperian Therapeutics in the late 90s to work on cholesterol-lowering medications. Yeah, this is this is Asperion part two. <laughs> in, yeah. in part so one then, then uh, we'll was... We'll call that one version 1.0, and we'll call this one, the, you know, the one he's doing right now, version 2.0. In version 1.0, he sold that company to Pfizer for over a billion dollars, 1.3 billion back in 2004. So Newton and his team, they know a lot about lowering cholesterol. They've got a lot of experience, decades of it, and two prior you know, successes uh, to their name. You know, bempedoic acid has a different mechanism of action than, than um, statins. It works upstream of statins. That makes people think that it might um, produce some a, a better side effect profile, less, um, less uh, impact on maybe muscle weakness and some of the things that make uh, many people intolerant to being able to take statins. Or, you know, initially, the phase three trial that's being conducted now could clear the way for its use in people with um, uh, high cholesterol levels caused by genetic mutations, so really tough to treat patients um, over time. However, that you know there are trials ongoing that could expand that population. Um, you know, obviously, this drug may not be right for everybody, but you know you can draw and connect dots that would make you think that you know if if eventually approved, it could treat between a million and ten million patients, depending on how the label reads over time. And if that's true, then, you know, yeah, you've got a nine-figure drug, maybe a 10-figure drug uh, in the making. It won't be Lipitor-sized, but it could still be a very successful drug. And I think that, that um, more and more people are warming up to the concept that Newton might be able to succeed yet again in this indication. Absolutely. And the size of the addressable population here will matter quite a bit because pricing matters a lot when it comes to cholesterol medications. Because the statins are generic at this point, generic Lipitor is like $10 a month. It's super cheap. You look at newer drugs like the PCSK9 inhibitors, they cost $14,000 a year. So that's a very, very big range. And it seems like Aspirion is planning to target volume over price, which if you look at the way the pressure on the drug market is trending, 
that's probably a smart move to try to get a little bit lower of a cost, lower margins, but get them approved and out there to the widest number of people possible. Right. You could argue that the pricing, the PCSK9 inhibitors jumped the shark. They went too high. And as a result, there was so much pushback and it's really crimped the, their use. You know, I had an opportunity, Christine, earlier this year to talk to management of Asperian and have them walk me through what they thought um, the commercial opportunity could be for this drug and what the pathway that they would take to try to get this thing to market. And, you know, I, I couldn't help but come away impressed. I think that they have a very good strategy um, to, 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 to file in, you know, 2019. Data will come in 2018 from this first trial. Um, they've also uh, are conducting a phase three trial that begins later this year that should have data at the end of next year uh, that matches up or combines this drug, bempotoic acid, with Zisha. And Zisha was another anti-cholesterol uh, drug that at its peak was bringing in $4 billion a year in sales. So a one-drug combination tablet that pairs up Zisha, which is still very widely used today, with um, bempotoic acid could also be a needle mover for this company. I, I like what's going on here. Um, again, you know, you always have to throw that caveat in that you know, past performance does not guarantee future success, right? And anything can and does happen in phase three trials. But, you know, I, I kind of like the odds on this one. Very nice. Last time we did a lightning in a bottle again show, I closed off by asking you which of the companies that we discussed you would be most likely to buy. And so I'm going to put you on the spot with that same question again. You have Arenia, Axivent, and Asperion. Which is your favorite? You know what? I'm going to rank them. I mean, I own Asperion, full disclosure, um, so I guess that would have to be number one. I'm very intrigued by these other two drugs, though, these other two companies. So, do you have a ranking of them? I'm going to go Asperion 1, Arenia 2, and then Axivent 3, only because Axivent's, you know, Alzheimer's disease is just so hard to tackle. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, another <laughs> final question for you. What do you think will be the next big cat-themed uh, company name from Alan Auerbach, if there is a next? Oh, I don't know. Something involving Panthers? Okay, okay. I see. I was thinking Lions, maybe. He hasn't hit those yet. <laughs> Stay tuned. I have a feeling he'll be back with another one. Absolutely. And when he does, we will be sure to cover it on the show. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Shout out to our man behind the glass, Austin Morgan. For Todd Campbell, I'm Christine Harges. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Fool on!